when my whole life before my 25-year-old life was like, how do you get to perfection? How do you get the perfect score? How do you get 100 on that test? And all of that learning is how do you have no mistakes? And now coming back to kind of unlearning all of it and seeing how being not perfect builds connections, being imperfect builds community, as you said, being imperfect allows me to take risks and do more stuff. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Connie Kwan, our new Chief Product Officer at Nobody Studios. Now, Connie has an extensive experience in both product and marketing over the last 20 years, delivering many businesses in a wide range of industries from blockchain to enterprise SaaS, customer applications, digital health, energy, and even semiconductors. She's been a coach and advisor to many startups on product strategy and building from companies like Carrot, and also spent a lot of time in early parts of her career at Microsoft and businesses like Atlassian to help them scale. Her speciality is making the complex simple and making ambiguous situations easy to understand by asking the right powerful questions. We're delighted to have her in the studio, excited her to be part of our journey. So let's dig into her own journey and how she got started in the world of product management. A mentor and a manager that I had at Atlassian, his name is Nick Wade. I really appreciate one thing that he said when I started there, which was that, Connie, you'll learn what to ignore and then you'll be really great. That was my first management role with a bigger team. That was his advice to me, was you'll learn what to ignore. And at the time, it was like, okay, that's kind of a weird thing. Because as an IC or as like a manager of a small team, you don't ignore anything. You absorb everything. But it was actually really valuable advice because at some point in the career, you're just in a flood of information and figuring out how to prioritize, figuring out what is important and really being focused on the 20% that matters is ultimately what the job is. So that was the essence of his advice. And I still very much use that today. And I really appreciate it that he said it in a way that was very provoking. That really made me perk up and go, okay, (laughs) I got that. It's great, actually, because I think sometimes these moments where they just sort of make you stand up and take notice and go, that's contrary. That sort of flies in the face of everything I've been told. I'm the same. I remember my first job, I was an engineer at City Search, and I could write HTML, so I was a highly proficient engineer. But basically, so much of it was taking every bit of information in. Whatever I was told, make the design look like this, code it like that, here's how you build a test. It's everything. There is nothing that's, if you will, information that comes your way, as you said, that you discount because it's all important to get the task done. But then you have that transition as you're describing What's the 20% that actually matters? And these provocative statements, I think, are really good. But you also have to be really open to hear them because it's contrary and it sort of flies in the face of everything that you've been taught. And yet it's really important to make the transition. So what were some of the first things you started to do then and where you got this sort of insight and you're like, hang on a sec, how do I know what is the 20% I need to go for? How did you start down that path? 
something really interesting about that moment was he didn't say it like, hey, you'll learn what to prioritize or you'll learn the 80-20 rule. And, you know, those are all regular ways of saying it that I yeah. think would have just flew right over my head and I would not take notice of that. But because he said, you'll learn what to ignore. And to me, that is so gravity defying from the previous mindset, from what my whole life has been about. It's just to absorb everything and take everything as important to like, no, a lot of things are not important and you'll ignore them completely. So it's so provocative. And I think when someone is going through an unlearning process, certainly when I was, is to have that kind of provocative statement in whatever way is provocative to that person is a very pivotal moment to like actually take notice and start noticing that new information and changing behavior. So what did I do after I hearing that? I felt more okay with ignoring stuff. I was given permission to just ignore some stuff and see what happens. And if it doesn't come back in two days that, oh, that actually wasn't important or, oh, that went and solved itself. Taking a week off, taking two weeks off is extremely helpful for your team as a manager, because then you realize the things that I wasn't helpful in or the things that I was helpful in. And it all falls apart when I disappear and come back. I'm like, oh, that fell apart. That was something that I needed to touch more. But this other thing, well, that actually went better. So I should leave it alone. Those are moments for learning. Hey, this is my new role now. This is how I can participate. And I don't need to have all the pieces in my head. I just need to know that certain people do and trust that they can run with it. Yes, yeah, it's just a great example. Even as I hear you describe that instantly, I think of like these small little experiments. Here's a piece of thing that I could ignore or I could do something with. Why don't I try ignoring it for a day, for two days? Does it come back? There's such great examples of small, almost like safe to fail little experiments that you could run to start testing the assumptions of like, what can I ignore? What can I not ignore? And taking two weeks off, that's a bigger experiment, if you will. It's like a two week experiment to see if I'm not around, what's going to be the impact of that? What's going to come back? What's not going to come back? It's such a great way to sort of think about and help people start down that process of experimenting and learning. What does it mean to know what to ignore? It's such a great example. So this is a great place to start from. What were some of the other unlearning moments that jumped out at you then as you've been on your journey? Unlearning perfection is a big one in my life because I studied engineering. I'm a very conscientious person. If I do the Myers-Briggs, I think big five, conscientiousness is very high for me. Strays Finder tells me that discipline is my top straight discipline, right? Meaning like very structured, very like dot on my I's, cross on my T's, check all my boxes. So perfection is very much just a part of my DNA. And that can lead down very bad paths where I just stuck perfecting something that doesn't matter. So I had to unlearn that. And there were two notable instances where I had a huge unlearning of that. The first is when I transitioned from my job at Microsoft to my job at Atlassian. And the culturally, they were very different. At Microsoft, I had to be much more buttoned up in my presentation, in what I show, in the meetings. Everything had to be very buttoned up. It was like you do your PowerPoint and then you do it with all the animations and you spend hours and then you present the thing. At Atlassian, it was like the reverse. So we were using their product, Confluence. And 
the philosophy is you write one sentence and that sentence is now public to everybody at the company on a page. And so going from I hide everything until it's ready to everything you write is ta-da. And then people can start commenting on it. It was just a completely different way to operate. My boss then also said, there are some habits you have from Microsoft that are probably going to have to change. So I was told, I was given warning that this is happening. And that was helpful because it was a big adjustment. But once I adjusted, it was such a new and fantastic and efficient way to work with people. Once you can build that trust and everybody's doing it this way, now you're just building on top of each other. You're no longer building in silos, exchanging information, going back to silos, exchanging information again. And then what could otherwise take months is now taking weeks. I remember one time where I literally wrote up half a page. I had like two, three paragraphs going on a specific page and it was definitely not ready. I had like a little yellow bar on top that says, warning, this page is in progress. And then somebody at some corner of the company that I didn't know about wrote a comment in there and said, hey, I'm thinking about this too. Let's chat. So it's just like, it's like, wow, how cool is that? We're not doing the work twice. We're in different ends of the company. We didn't even know each other existed, but we found this information and now we're collaborating. And I think that is what collaboration tools in the last half decade have given us this magic ability to merge our brains. And I love this transition that we have, I think, as a race, as a being on the planet to be able to collaborate in this way is really special. So that was my first unlearning of perfection. And so, you know, it required me to be less perfect, to be okay with people giving comment early. It's a great example, Connie, because I think for so many people, as you know, you start out in your career anyway, there's the desire to like always present well, to feel like you've got your thoughts together, that you're ready for the questions, you're ready to tell people and you have the, all the answers, or maybe you don't have all the answers, but at least the perception of the answers. It can be, in you any sense, cause stress, anxiety, overwork, all these things. It also reminds me of another notion that I definitely had to unlearn along the way is even this idea of like building in the open. I remember when, like when I was building some of the first companies or products that I was part of, the first release was always this moment of it has to be perfect. We have to have all the user flows worked out. There can be no bugs in it. And like everything has to be perfect and done. And then we'll release it to the world and it'll be absolutely perfect and everyone will be delighted. Sadly, I had to do that about 500 times before I realized that doesn't work. One of the things that have certainly personally for me, I've always tried to embrace from the back of that is actually building more in the open, telling people this is an idea that we want to try and build. I wonder, here's some features that it could potentially be in it. Here's what it's like going through the journey of trying to create a company or start this business and what I'm thinking about doing. And then suddenly you find this community, just like you found this colleague somewhere in the back alleys of Atlassian that you'd never been to before. And they're suddenly like, I'm thinking about that product too. That's exactly what we should be building. And you actually start to pull people in to collaborate rather than just sort of push it out into the world and broadcast what the answer is going to be. For me personally, that sort of was a huge unlearning moment too, as well as actually getting things out into the world 
and letting people experience them and helping them improve them and talking about that process of putting something out into the world half formed and how you could make it better. It was a whole different type of person. It started to attract both as users of products, but also people who wanted to build with me. It's such a great counterintuitive thing to do. I think that I certainly have only embraced much later in my journey than how it started off for me. Yeah. It's really great that we share this perfectionism and we're both working on it. And it's surprising how many people do as well. Steve Jobs said that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. And so while I was prepping to have this conversation, it was interesting to see because this thread of unlearning perfection came full circle again when I became a creator. And I started sharing. I built a four storyteller system. I'm teaching classes on storytelling. And I have to start posting on LinkedIn and be more public. So it's one thing to post within a company context of no more than 2,000 people seeing your raw stuff. And then there's posting to the general world and letting them all see your raw stuff, right? (laughs) So that's a totally different level. Fear of rejection, you know, being perfect, all that. Vulnerability also is, that's what it is. It's vulnerability. And, you know, I just didn't realize that I think the, unlearning of perfection in that first experience that I just described was a stepping stone to my next step, which is unlearning perfection and sharing with the whole world. And so in the last five years, I have started building the muscle of being able to share, build in the open, share more what I'm doing. I can take raw videos of myself talking in my bicycle helmet the other day about a almost crash that I had and how I learned a storytelling lesson from that. And I posted that on LinkedIn. And I did that right after I got home. I didn't even change. I just did it. And it was like very popular because it was not a, the usual look that I have. So like all these things, like you just made, I made deeper connections with people because I was willing to share and willing to be not perfect and willing to just be raw. And it's a very interesting thing to learn that when my whole life before my 25-year-old life was like, how do you get to perfection? How do you get the perfect score? How do you get 100 on that test? And all of that learning is how do you have no mistakes? And now coming back to kind of unlearning all of it and seeing how being not perfect builds connections, being unperfect builds community, as you said. Being unperfect allows me to take risks and do more stuff. It's fascinating. It is. But I also feel it's like just being you, being authentic, being me. We're humans. We're not perfect. It's nice to sort of embrace just being ourselves and being raw. I think that authentic nature of things draws people in. Like you joke about doing a video with your bike helmet on when you just had an accident, but that's the moment. You're in the context of when that happens. Why do we need to transition to a studio and get the whole team together and get it already? And then I'm going to tell the You know, I think there's a lot to be learned from that in embracing it. Look, you've gone on to build amazing businesses and products. Obviously, Microsoft, Atlassian, you've been involved in loads of different startups. You've built your own businesses as well. What are more of these sort of strains as you went along? Like getting out of the perfectionism, learning more to just be yourself, share in the open, help create community and collaborate and share more. What do you think are some of the challenges, let's say, in the industry? that you see that we might need to sort of challenge ourselves, especially from a product perspective? What do you think are some of those conventions that maybe we should challenge our thinking on or even learn as an industry? 
That's an interesting one. I think the world is always on a pendulum. We swing one way and then we swing the other way. And sometimes we go too far the other way. And I think on the perfectionism scale, I would say products seem to break more now than they used to. With big consequence. It is a huge consequence. On the one hand, on the personal level, we don't need to be perfect human beings. On the other hand, because we've swung the pendulum this way and everybody's willing to be more raw and content creators are sharing their stuff on TikTok, whatever, with less prep than before, we're also taking much more of a laissez-faire attitude in launching products that have reached a lot of people. Slack recently rolled out a change on their interface that if you have multiple instances of Slack, then you lose all the icons on the left. Before that, you had all these icons on the left and you can change from instance to instance. And that was one of the huge benefits because everybody's on like 10 different instances of Slack. And then one day their design team decided to change it and all that went away. And on Reddit, it just like blew up. Everybody's like, what are you doing to me? This is the most terrible thing. This, my world is falling down. And you know, if you zoom out, you're like, okay, guys, first world problem, take a chill pill. It's okay. Uh But on the other hand, people spend eight hours a day of their lives on this thing. And it does matter. To me, that was, I wouldn't say even near perfect. It just wasn't a well-considered launch. So they had to quickly roll back and fix it. And within a couple of weeks, they fixed it. They made an other, you could go into the settings and turn it back on and they had to kind of relaunch it. But that was, to me, a product launch fail to make that change without I mean, they have so many customers they have would have consulted. It was an inexcusable thing to have all blow up in their face when they launched it. So I would say we're on the product front. We're kind of swinging too far away from having it at least acceptable. Let's just launch it and see what happens kind of feeling. So, you know, I don't know if this reverses what I earlier said, but I do think there is a balance between absolute perfection and absolute laissez-faire, like there's somewhere in the middle that is a happy middle. And I love this example too, because I was one of those people who woke up to find a whole new interface to Slack. And I was like, I didn't know if I got bashed on the head or something had happened to me, but I couldn't operate it in any way. I, like, I thought there was a bug. I thought my machine had been hacked. I couldn't actually move anywhere around the application because the whole navigation system had changed. It's so funny that you mentioned this because I was one of those people who just sat there in disbelief going, how could this happen in this day and age? Where did this come from? I went on Reddit to see who else is also seeing this problem. What did you do? What was your first reaction? I think I was in such shock that I think I stood there for 30 minutes and was like, how am I ever going to reply to it? <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Why I was just stunned. I just stood in front of my computer, frozen, going... Oh, no. You know, how am I actually ever going to find anything again? Which was hilarious. It's such a good example. But the principle is you're speaking to, we are in such a fantastic and opportunistic and yet like moments that huge things can happen from the minor changes. Same as we start to adopt more and more of machine learning algorithms or large learning models. Like people are using these tools that can have a profound effect. Just like when ChatGBT came out and lawyers were just rewriting contracts, laissez-faire, saying, ChatGBT, write a contract for this, and then just sending it to people. And if these systems and behaviors sort of go unchecked, if we are too just sort of balchy and just like don't take care, it sort of reminds me of 
those moments of like move fast and break things, which at a moment in a startup's history, sure, like that matters. You got to ship, you got to work fast. Sure, you can have caution, but you always have a propensity to ship. But at some point you hit like a critical moment where your releases have a big impact on a lot of a population yeah. and how they will interact with whatever you put out into the world. It is a moment where Cavalier has to come with caution and be aware of that. And recognizing when you're in those different modes is a huge moment for any business because often what gets you to scale is that you did take risks, that you did put things out into the world, that you did be a little more cavalier about how you would approach things. And yet as you become a big business, whether it's a Slack instance with people like me sitting there for 30 minutes in front of the screen thinking they've had a concussion and don't understand why the thing works, or you're on Reddit writing paragraphs going, what the hell's going on here? The products we build have a big effect and it's important to be aware of it and be a custodian of it in many ways. Yeah, real impacts. I think when we get around a million users on a product, that's when you really got to just buckle down and launch properly and have all the processes and check everything. That's a meaningful change for a lot of people. Google Maps also recently had a change where they just changed the colors. And now it's not as legible. We've already wasted 30 minutes on one of our drives because we made the wrong turn because it looked like the blue of the path that you're continuing on and the blue of the arrow is like a very similar blue. <laughs> so it's very hard to tell if you're turning or you're not. I don't know if you've seen the update. And it's having real, real impact on people's time and where they drive, like <laughs> real life impact. It does. I spend my whole life getting around Manila and I'm totally reliant on Google Maps to help me get there. It's also yeah. like a very complicated traffic system here, right? There's like lots of highways with like little turnoffs within the city. Believe me, I miss more turns and have to do laps of the city than I care to do at the moment. And these things, they matter to me, Connie. They matter to me, for sure. They matter to millions. Yeah, exactly. So looking forward then, what are some of the things you're sort of most excited about with the product community? Like, obviously, we get a chance to work together at Nobody Studios. We have a huge ambition to build 100 companies over the next five years. That involves helping lots of entrepreneurs get their ideas into the world. There's products that will get traction and we'll have to help them be good custodians of it as well. So what are some of the things that you're most excited about as you look ahead? Well, I'm really excited about how AI makes it easier to communicate ideas. One thing I've been playing around with is because I've been teaching storytelling and I have this four storyteller method for helping people understand, oh, these are the four different types of people I'm pitching to. And that's why my pitch seems to be landing only 25% of the time. There's 75% that you have to kind of gear your presentation towards, right? To make it more palatable, more absorbable. So I've been playing around with using AI to generate these four different versions of the same story to appeal to the right audience. We're always talking about when we're Writing a story, it has to be audience, audience targeted. So that's an example of how I think the language models is going to transform how we connect with each other in a very fundamental way, because a lot of human progress is contingent on our ability to communicate with each other. At the end of the day, that's why we built what we built is we can collaborate with each other. I can decide we can have trade, right? So I can grow corn and you can grow wheat and we can trade. And that is contingent upon our ability to talk with each other. 
make contracts and agree and then follow up with those contracts and enforce those contracts. So the language models allows us to do that at a much faster and hopefully better scale if we can build it out in a way that it's going to be fundamentally biased because it's built off of the data that we have, but just continue to make it better and better over time, enabling more people to do that. I think the intersection of AI and the language models allowing us to do that communication. And then the other side, which is Web3. So I spent about a year and a half in Web3, very deep into it at a company. And that community is all about the distributed trust and how can we build systems that allow trust to happen without a centralized authority to authorize that trust. Because all of our trust is right now from the top down. We trust our well, trust is being eroded, but traditionally we've trusted our banks, we've trusted our countries, we've trusted our leaders, we've trusted systems like GDPR and SOC2 to help us with privacy laws and all those things. Like we trust centralized systems that create rules, but then Web3 is kind of flipping it on its head and saying, can we have distributed trust? And so I think the intersection of those two worlds, if we can make them intersect, because AI is very much top-down right now as well because of the necessity to have all the information in one place to build that model. If we can somehow cross those two things, and I know there are organizations working on allowing a AI model that is built by a distributed entity so that it isn't owned by one big conglomerate, one big corporate. I think that's a very exciting intersection that is happening that will fundamentally change how we operate as a species. Yeah. It is in an exciting time and very topical, I think, as well, with places like OpenAI and all the fun and games that have gone on there from an entity that started, if you will, in a distributed manner or as a not-for-profit, has turned to for-profit and has had different sort of incentives, if you will, about yeah. how it operates. And exactly. again, becomes a potentially like this huge entity that's owned by a company. It's fascinating how those are going to play out. What's going to be the answer? Because there's always so many different ways these can go. Does it stay within the power of a few? Or is it somehow that we can create a system to distribute it to ownership of the many? It's a great and interesting topic to go forward on. Connie, look, it's been great to have you on the show. You know, I'm looking forward to continue to build super awesome products with you at Nobody Studios. We've got loads of fun things ahead of us about what we got to do. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for sharing your stories with us from unlearning perfectionism to building in the open, to sharing your ideas and collaborating with people. It's been great to have you and thank you very much. Thanks, Barry. It's been really great to share this conversation with you as well. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies, from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed, and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years, and who knows how many beyond that. So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, 
even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.